The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome to now. Welcome to here. What I want to talk about this morning is equanimity. (laughs) And uh, actually the original title of my talk was Equanimity in Times of Uncertainty. And as I looked at that title this morning, I realized that uncertainty was not in my thoughts. It really wasn't about uncertainty. It was about what is equanimity. What is it? What do we mean when we say, I would like to be equanimous? I would like to realize equanimity in my life. Before I begin, I want, I want to give a, a thank you to the people that I have met who participate in the uh, online uh, Dharma practice groups because their questions and their comments and inviting me into their practice and their lives stimulates thoughts, reflections. Their words reverberate in my mind and in my practice. And I've thought about that in terms of equanimity. When I woke up this morning, I thought, what is it that I really really want to say. You know, I, I have a, a long prepared talk with all kinds of things in it, but what I really want is for everyone to understand what equanimity means in life. Why, why do we value it? What is, what's important about it? I'm going to give you a quote from Gill. It was... Um, in an article he wrote about equanimity. Equanimity, one of the most sublime emotions of Buddhist practice, is the ground for wisdom and freedom and the protector of compassion and love. Equanimity, one of the most sublime emotions of Buddhist practice, is the ground for wisdom and freedom and the protector of compassion and love. Equanimity, when seen this way, it's, it's less a state to be achieved, but a way of being with our experience. It, it, it is a way of being and not something that smooths over how we are, what our experiences is, are. There's, there's a, supplement, a suppleness to equanimity. Equanimity is not rigid. It is not defined in terms of these are the characteristics where you know, okay, you're there. It it really is a way of just meeting experience. And, And what is it that allows us to meet experience and not be blown away by whatever that experience is? One of the things we think about equanimity is that it's most accessible on retreat, right? You're going to get 
calm, you settle into your meditation, and everything is beginning to get rosy. Or not. Or you're experiencing an aversion retreat. Or, But the equanimity is what arises, and you say, aha, now that none of this is bothering me, I can be in this state of evenness. But, you know, equanimity shows up in all kinds of Buddhist lists. You know, it, it's in the, the seven factors of enlightenment and the four Brahma-Viharas and the ten paramis, and it's the fourth jhanic factor of concentration. And the thing about equanimity is it comes after mindfulness, comes after concentration. It comes after joy, after tranquility, comes after all of these things we practice toward. And the qualities of equanimity have to do with presence with the experience. Presence. Clarity. And ease. A lack of struggle. So, of course, it makes no sense to struggle to become a quantumist. (laughs) But what does it mean, this presence and clarity and ease? What do I mean when I say that? What do I mean by presence? What is presence? You know, someone asked me, who were the people who influenced me? What teachers influenced me in my practice? This is really a marvelous question. Not only who were they, but why was I influenced by them? What about them caused me to be motivated in practice. And presence was one of them. Surprisingly to me, I hadn't thought of it quite that way. One of the earliest experiences I had was going to a bookstore, and Sylvia Borstein was talking about her book, uh, That's Funny You Don't Look Buddhist. So I'll give you an idea. It was 25-plus years ago. And she, uh, what I noticed about her, she was talking about her book, was that she had no wrinkles in her forehead, that she was totally at ease. She did not seem to be concerned about anything. And I thought, wow, I want that. <laughs> I want that just, just here in the room. Another experience was going to see the Dalai Lama. He had, there was a, a large conference in San Francisco. There were 2,000 people. And it was on peace. And, and the theme was... For peace in the world, you begin with peace in your heart and then peace in the family and then peace in your community and then peace in the larger community and peace in the world. And that it all began with you. And as I was listening to him over the course of the week at how he exchanged views with people, what became really clear to me was that everyone in the room felt like he was looking directly at them and seeing them. His presence his being thereness was so strong that you could feel it across a room with 2,000 other people. <laughs> and everyone felt that. It wasn't a sort of projection of guruism on him. It was really feeling seen. Feeling seen. And, and that presence, when we experience presence... 
we are fully engaged in whatever the experience is that is happening here. We, this person, this person who's showing up with these conditions, in these conditions, this conditioning, this person, however it is, is fully engaged in this moment. This, this one, this person, you, you are in this moment. This is what it means to be alive. Normally, we, you know, we, we get lost in our thoughts and the thoughts are off over here and you know, the body is here and sometimes we're slightly aware of the body. And what are we aware of? What is it that I actually know about this moment? The presence of total immersion in just this. This. However irritating or sweet or whatever emotions come up in the midst of it, whatever twitches, whatever bodily twitches, this, this, is totally in this moment. This is the experience this body is having. And in conversation, the other person is contributing to whatever the experience is. Are you there for that? Or is the mind off wondering what you're going to say in response? Presence. The absoluteness of just being aware of this experience. This is presence. To embody presence is to just be in it. The second item was clarity. And I spend a great deal of my time talking about seeing clearly. And when I went through this talk that I created and went down all the pieces of it, I found seeing clearly, I must have written 20 times. And I thought, okay, so that means something to you. What does it mean to everyone else? It reminds me of a, a Zen teacher one time. Who, he, he always told this particular story, at least once a year. I, I sat with him for maybe 10 or 15 years, and every year he told this story about the monk that turned into a fox. And I asked him one day, why this story was important to him. And he looked really surprised. And I said, but you tell it all the time. It has real meaning for you. And he told me what it was. But in the process of that, I understood that the seeing clearly part has to do with knowing the honesty of what's actually happening in this moment. You know, we we think we know what's going on, and we apply a name to it, we note, and we say, oh, it's this, and then we dismiss it. But the seeing clearly has to do with saying, oh, what else is true about that? So, so this becomes very obvious when you're talking to somebody and you hear what they say, and you say, oh, well, and you form an opinion about what they say. And then you no longer hear what else they're saying. Because because you know already. Or do you? So, so I've also inspired by a, a book of poems that a f- friend sent me. This is by Ada Limon, and the book is a new book of poetry of hers called The Hurting Kind. Let me see if I can find this page. Uh, 
the, the piece is called calling things what they are. Seems fitting, right? I pass the feeder and yell, Grackle party! And then an hour later I yell, Morning dove after party! I call the feeder the party and the seed on the ground the after party. I'm getting so good at watching that I've even dug out the binoculars an old poet gave me back when I was young and heading to the Cape with so much future ahead of me it was like my own ocean. Tufted titmouse, I yelled. And Lucas laughs and says, thought so, but he's humoring me. He didn't think so at all. My father does this same thing. Shouts out at the feeder announcing the party attendees. He throws a whole peanut or two to the Stellar's Jay who visits on a low oak branch in the morning. To think there was a time I thought birds were kind of boring. Brown bird, gray bird, black bird, blah, blah, blah bird. Then I started to learn their names by the ocean, and the person I was dating said, that's the problem with you, Limon. You're all fauna and no flora. And I began to learn the name of trees. I like to call things as they are. Before, the only thing I was interested in was love. How it grips you, how it terrifies you, how it annihilates and resuscitates you. I didn't know then that it wasn't even love that I was interested in, but my own suffering. I thought suffering kept things interesting. How funny that I called it love, and the whole time it was pain. How funny that I called it love, and the whole time it was pain. This is what seeing clearly is about. We have these ways of thinking about what's happening in our experience, and we get kind of entrained with that way of thinking. Oh, yeah, love is glorious. It keeps everything exciting, right? Well, maybe it wasn't really love. Maybe it was something else. And becoming enamored of one's own pain is not uncommon. It's familiar, Oh, I'm, I, I'm, this life is so difficult. And pretty soon everything falls into that quarter of life is so difficult. You know, in, in, in the last week, there's been, uh, the last week or two, there's been a lot of tr- trauma in my immediately, immediate family, health-related issues for various people. And, and I myself was worried that I might have had COVID and I was, you know, waiting for I could take my PCR test. And there was all that unlimited uh, free thinking about, oh my God, everything's falling apart. And you have this feeling that everything's falling apart. But it isn't falling apart. It's just happening. Rapid fire appears to be like this. It appears to be like this, but how is it really? Also during the week, it turned out, my grandson had COVID, and so he couldn't finish the last week of school, which was very upsetting for him. He's nine. And I got to read to him every afternoon by Zoom for two hours, which is a long time to read a kid's book and sound you know, enthusiastic and bright and carry on the meaning in, the, in your tone of voice. And how delightful it was. No, it isn't that I was finding delight in the midst of pain and agony and sorrow, but rather that both things were present. And that if I focused on poor Malcolm, 
I would not be able to focus on the delight of telling this mystery story about these little kids in this book. I couldn't have engaged in the moment because I would have been so worried about how is he feeling, how is he taking it in, right? Which seems like a very compassionate act, but is it? Whereas the total engagement in just this proved to be just delightful for both of us. Truly delightful. He was very eagerly setting up the next appointment. Well, let's do it at 2 tomorrow. No, let's do it at 2.30 because I have to finish my movie. <laughs> just the, the, the excitement of just this. And how exciting that is to be engaged in the moment and not focused on, oh, what could be wrong or what might be wrong. And now, Needless to say, my PCR was negative or I wouldn't be here. (laughs) The moments where we believe we know what's going on are the very moments to say, really? (laughs) What is it that's happening? It is this seeing clearly into what my first impressions are and what, what does that mean to me now? It's realizing that experience does not have to be tied into meaning. It doesn't have to be tied into meaning. The mind wants to make a story of our experience, you know, a a continuing story. But this is the only thing that's happening right now. My life in the past is not happening to me right now. You know, this morning, I'm planning to go up to Seattle to to visit uh, another very new ill grandson, and um, it, it's at the University of Washington, and so I thought of a friend of mine who works there. He's somebody that I went to graduate school with. He was a postdoc. I was in graduate school. And I thought, wouldn't it be delightful to see him? And thoughts kept coming up of from 40 years ago, which is, are not about now. And I watched the mind go back to those stories, and I wonder what he's like now, and I reflected that I am nothing like I was then, (laughs) that this person is totally different, really different, however other characteristics may be true. Equanimity is an intersection of suffering, identity with self, and ease. And to see how the impermanence Impermanence, the ease of impermanence. When you, when you really engage in impermanence, you stop building meaning around every experience you have. It's just the experience. It's just the experience. And finally, the other thing had to do with struggle and ease. I was thinking about that this morning as I, you know, I was walking calmly through my house, reviewing in my mind what I was... I had 10 minutes. I was going along. Next thing I knew, 15 minutes had passed. And I thought, ah, I will arrive later than I intended to arrive. Now, there's a couple of ways of thinking about that. One is, I'm, I'm going to be late. And the other is, I'm going to arrive 
later than I intended. And the difference between them is seeing this is what's happening and saying, I need to move with alacrity versus I'm rushing. Rushing has that sense of urgency and I have to change what's true. I need to move with alacrity is, ah, time to move. The difference between them has to do with how much I am struggling with how things are. How things are. What is the struggle with how things are? It's not, so, so it's not saying that being later than I intended is good. It's just how it is. It's neither good nor bad. I don't even have to say it's okay. It just is. That's all. That, that is what it is not to struggle. That it's just like this. Uncertainty can be unpleasant. Oh, dear, I don't know what's going to happen. Or it can be exciting. Oh, what's going to come next? It's still uncertainty. The attitude that we bring to it, that we impose on the experience, changes how we see it and how the experience then is conditioned into the next moment. The difference between loneliness and solitude usually turns up to be whether it was your idea or not. Equanimity arises out of clear seeing and the absence of taking it personally. The absence of saying, this is about the story of my life. It's useful when you think about equanimity to consider When equanimity is not present, when do I not feel the stability, the stability of being in this moment? Because that is a key factor, stability of mind. What's generally true is that we get pulled around in life through the eight worldly winds, you know, the praise and blame, pain and pleasure, gain and loss, fame and disrepute. So this morning, as I was sitting here, there's a a new thing that has occurred in the last few months in my sitting practice, which could be considered annoying, and that is, as I settle in, my jaw starts doing involuntary movement. It just moves, quivers, moves back and forth. And the first time this habit happened, I was just surprised. And now I'm still surprised. (laughs) I still go, oh, What is that? And the mind wants to make meaning around it. It may be, uh, I've been storing things in my jaw all my life, the tension of life, and it's slowly working its way out. It may be, I don't know, something medical. It may be, who knows? What's true is, it's quivers. And as I was sitting here, I wondered, the thought arose, what does that look like in a mask? <laughs> does that move back and forth? Does that, is that strange? <laughs> and then I thought, ah, working, a, working on, on uh, a fame and disrepute. I'm going to look like I don't know what I'm doing up here. <laughs> I watched that, light, laugh, that comment. I laughed. I said, oh, it's easy. That comes up all the time. Things like that come up.
What's important is to be able to see when they come up. That's the clear seeing part. Oh, I'm trying to establish blame for why this happened. I'm going to blame AT&T or I'm going to blame, you know, pick, pick somebody to blame. Pick yourself to blame. That's where self-criticism comes in. It, it's being blown to the side. What equanimity represents is the suppleness of mind, the stability of mind that takes it in and stays here. Takes it in, it doesn't have to run off and fix it or change it or be blown away by it, but just here. There are two words that the Buddha used when he talked about equanimity. One of them was upekka. The other one I have to look up here because it's really something I stumble over. Another word. So upekka has to do with uh, uh, seeing over. It has the components of the word are seeing over. So in equanimity, there is a, a broad view where you're not upset by the ups and downs. You become very aware of the coming and going of all things. And that looking out over that allows you to not be blown away by it. I may not be able to find this word. I apologize. But I am... Oh, there it is. It is tatra-maja-tata. And what it's a combination of words... Poly words, and it means to stand in the middle of all this. To stand in the middle. So the standing in the middle is not a rigid standing, but it is a saying, in order to be in equanimity, everything must be included. It's not about being a better person so that you can be equanimous, about having a better practice so you could be equanimous. It's about showing up with this person in this moment and having the flexibility, the stability of mind to just say, this is what's happening in this moment. Ah. And when you see clearly, you can take the intentions that you have You can recall your intention in life and take the next step. It is about choosing as opposed to reactivity. So yes, equanimity in meditation is quite lovely. Equanimity when you're out in the world with everything happening around you is also quite lovely. It's a recalling to, okay, it's like this. It's like this. And that recalling allows us not to be blown away by the eight worldly winds. It allows us to be present for, okay, here's how it is now. I am still here. The presence of I am still here, and I can see this is what's happening. It involves integrity, honesty, brutal honesty, it's seeing when you, what you think is love is really pain. It is just being really honest. I see things coming and going. I understand that things arise and pass away. They don't have some specific meaning. It is not about me. 
It's just what's happening here. And I have the stability and presence of mind to allow that to be true. It turns out, you know, there are all kinds of prescriptions for how one cultivates equanimity. But it seems to me equanimity is really a quality of practice when that practice is incorporated into the moment. It arises by a fierce attention to presence and seeing clearly. And that ferocity has to come with an open, soft heart. Because otherwise, we are rigid and unfeeling and insensitive to what's happening. So the very things that hurt us, that rub our raw spots, are the places that remind us how alive we are, how in the moment we are, and needs to be included. Oh, this, this is what's happening. So there's a, uh, there's equanimity practice. How many of you have heard of equanimity practice? It's similar to metta, metta, in which you repeat certain phrases that are intended to bring your mind into the space where you can actually experience what it is that you're talking about. So I'm just going to briefly, I do this practice routinely, routinely. I have for many years, because it reminds me, calls to mind, the importance of the clarity of seeing that is so essential. Things as they are. So I'm just going to go through my phrases. I am heir to my own karma. My suffering depends on my intentions and my actions, not what others wish. Despite what I may wish, things are as they are. May I see things just as they are. May I meet the arising and passing away of all things with equanimity and balance. I am heir to my own karma. My suffering, or lack of suffering, depends on my own intentions and actions, not what others may think. Despite what I may wish, things are as they are. May I see things just as they are. May I meet the arising and passing away of all things with equanimity and balance. Now those are just my phrases. I've said them over and over and over for years. I repeat them to myself when I'm doing walking meditation to bring the mind in, see clearly, see clearly. And what's happened over the years as I repeat these phrases to myself is I come to develop a kind of insight which is a deep understanding of what those words actually mean. It was that that caused me to wake up this morning saying, 
what is it about equanimity I really want to say? What is it? You know, I could go through all these lists, do this, do that, cultivate it this way. But what's true is that we need to learn to experience and recognize when we are solidly present, when we are seeing clearly, and we, when we are not struggling. So I started the story about the difference between rushing and not rushing, the moving quickly and, and rushing. And as I was driving along, I thought, this is really interesting. I know the difference between wishing I was further along and leaning over the steering wheel. And, and I'm just driving. I'm just going there. And I watched the urgency come into my mind, and I let the urgency go and say, this is not life or death. So I've become suspicious of urgency in my life when I feel like this has to happen now. or that, Really? Does this have to happen now? What is happening now? It, this often happens in conversations with my husband. I'll be, we'll be talking about something and I'll get enthusiastic about something and he will be, his mind is on something else. He's thinking about... I'm thinking about our upcoming road trip. He's thinking about the paper he's writing on an ecological subject to support somebody's case with, I think this is the, uh, the water sanitary district. I don't know. His mind is there. My mind is here. We're having a conversation. And he finally says, I really can't take in anymore. And I can feel the urgency of just this the end of the sentence. I have to just say the end of the sentence. And I just stop. This is not urgent. It's just a sentence. And to feel the ease arise in that, that is experiencing equanimity in the midst of triviality. Is What's important about equanimity is that it is not inaccessible to you. It's totally accessible. What's required is presence, seeing clearly, and not struggling. I'm not saying that nothing comes up in life that we don't struggle against. It happens daily. It's to recognize the struggle and to say, how does this fit with my intentions and what's my next step? Not two minutes from now or next week, what's my next step? I'm going to finish my coffee and then move. There is a patience that gets built in when you let go of urgency. Just be here. Just be here. So I'm going to read you yet another poem to close. This is called Proof. Everybody likes proof, right? A kestrel eyes us from a high, thin branch. And my husband is surprised it can hold the hunter's weight. He's small, I say. My husband says he's large. 
obviously depends on what you compare him to. A hawk, a white-crowned sparrow, a ghost, an abstraction. He looms not large to me, but significant. A standout, something cool about him that says today is the day to test his mettle in the mid-morning air. Flush with dead leaves and the ongoingness of rusted mums. A surge of relief comes like a check in the mail. Look, I've already witnessed something other than my slipping face in the fogged mirror, the dog's sweet seriousness at being worshipped from nose to paw. I have proof a nearly twig-like branch can still hold a too-heavy falcon. It's not much to go on, I know. It's not much to go on, I know. Don't belittle any of your experiences. Equanimity has built into it a piece of hope. (laughs) It is the hope that comes from the ease of just this. The end of struggle is to let go of struggle. It's not much to go on, I know. But the result is living a full, engaged life. It is about being alive. And this moment is what we have to be alive in. This one. I wish all of you the ease of a supple mind, a stable mind, a mind that's able to come into the presence of now so that you can know equanimity not as an idea or an abstraction, but as a way of being with things as they are. Thank you. Thank you. So, if anyone has any questions or comments, I welcome them. I apologize to anyone online. I'm not monitoring that because I don't have the capacity to do that right now. But, yes. Do you have the microphone on? Um, yes. Yeah, um, this is off point, but I was uh, questioning what is the story of the fox? Oh, the the fox. (laughs) You brought it up and left us hanging. I did. I didn't tell you that story. I don't know if it's too long. uh, It's it's pretty simple, actually, and it's relative. (laughs) Uh, So the story is about a Zen master, and he uh, had achieved enlightenment. And his students said, well, so is there no more karma? And he said, oh, there's no karma. And he immediately became a fox. And the, the sentence was that he should remain a fox for a thousand years until he understood karma. And that karma could exist in any moment, enlightened or not. Because karma is about your intentions 
and your actions. It's not a quid pro quo or this leads to that. It's, It's in this moment that karma is created or not created. It is about conditions. And so he became a fox, and a thousand years later, someone was walking through the woods, and they found a monk's robe and a little note that says, if you find this robe, it means I finally understand. Please bury my robes. So the story, and I probably don't have it exactly right, but those are the, the, the brief elements of it. It basically was about how the arrogance of thinking, I've got this in any moment, just creates not knowing, just creates the possibility for not seeing clearly. And so it fits into this actually very well, but I avoided it because I, I wanted to leave some time. And I tend to talk, I tend to put too many things in my talks, so, so I've tried to leave that out. But that's the story. Thank you for asking. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to ask or say? I think you put just the right number of things in your talk. Oh, thank Thank you you so much. (laughs) Oh, good. I left out the seven things that you need to do to enhance your practice to make you more available for equanimity. But we actually talked about a lot of them. Insight and integrity and honesty and well-being. and So uh, they kind of slip in. I mean, the, the thing about equanimity is it applies to... It, it, it's, it's where all of the pieces of Buddhism actually intersect and become realized. The characteristics of suffering and not-self and impermanence all come... How we deal with those questions in the real time contribute to whether equanimity is pra- possible or not. So... I thank you for your attention, for your practice, for your wisdom. Bye.